Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 52? Confronting the great lie. The lie. You even see that in the New Testament. The falsehood, the lie. It is, it was planted into the human psyche by the serpent, by Satan, has continued throughout the history of mankind, continues throughout the history of mankind until the consummation of the age. The great lie, it is this, I am my own God. I am in control of my destiny. I will do what I will do. Uh, I am the center of my universe. I make the decisions and the rest of the world can, can just uh, leave me alone. I'm, I'm my own person, my own God. Of course, that's not true. This is the great struggle that uh, mankind suffers from since the first yea hath God said. He knows you will be as God's, like he's God. So, an example of that is in the 52nd Psalm, confronting the great lie. So let's consider that as we look to this Psalm, okay? First of all, the warning that is given. Let me say again, I'm, mine comes from the Hebrew text, and in the modern Hebrew text, the verses are not necessarily in line with the verses like you have. Same is true here tonight. I will, I think, what does yours have? Nine verses, mine has 11. So when you get to, when I'm in verse three, you'll be in verse one. Just subtract two from whatever verse I say. Because the superscription that begins to the, to the conductor or the chief musician, a masculine or, or a contemplation of David, and talks about the Doeg, the Edomite. Those are verses in the Hebrew text. So that's where my verses one and two come from, uh, from the Hebrew. All right, so I don't want you to be thrown off when you see that. The warning for the conductor, the chief musician, a maskel of David, maskel, a contemplation, a deep-thoughted, meditative contemplation of David. When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David came to the house of Ahimelech. Okay, let's talk about old Doeg here to begin with. I don't know, 1 Samuel, maybe chapter 20 or 21, somewhere along in there. It's when Saul really gets heated up and begins to chase David, and David runs from him. The counsel from Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, was that, hey, my daddy's after you, and you're going to have to run for your life. So David runs for his life. He doesn't show up. For the meal, he, was all, he always had a place at the table of King Saul and his sons. So Saul asks the question, where is David? 
Jonathan makes up a story. But in truth, David was running. Saul could tell that Jonathan was on David's side and he got angry. He knew that David was running and that Jonathan had given him this advice. So in the whole context of that, Saul took his spear. Everybody ought to have a spear when he sits down for supper. And he threw that spear at Jonathan, but he missed him. Now to David. David is running. David gets to the place, the knob, knob, the, the place where the priesthood uh, was dwelling, the city of the priests. And Ahimelech, the chief priest, is there and he recognizes David, the hero, this giant slayer, uh, the hero of the people. And uh, David jumps off his horse and he says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. I can't tell you what it's about. But some men are going to be with me and we're needing sustenance. And I had to leave so fast, I didn't even take a sword. So Ahimelech says, well, we have some old bread of the presence here. It's not really supposed to be bread that people outside the priesthood would share, but this was an emergency. He said, we're about to throw this stuff out. We're making some hot and fresh. I'll give you the old batch rather than throw it out. Gave him five loaves. And then he said, hey, I ran off so fast. I didn't get a bow and arrow. I didn't get a sword. I didn't get anything. Can you help me with that? Ahimelech says, you know, the only thing here is the sword of Goliath that you, you took off of him when you killed him. He said, that's the only thing here. David says, that'll do. So he goes and he gets the sword of Goliath. And so David has the sword of Goliath. And he has these five loaves of bread. So now he has a little food and he has something to defend himself with. And he starts running. And he goes to the Philistines. And that's during the time when one of the guys said to the king of the Philistines, that's David. I know who that is. That's that, that's that Israelite, David. And so the king gets alerted to David's presence. And when David sees that things are not going well, he pretended to be a madman. He foamed at the mouth and all that kind of stuff. So the king said, I've got him. That's literally what he says. And he says, I have enough crazy people around me already. I don't need another one. Just leave him alone. So anyway, back to Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite was, uh, what did I do? Flip that thing two or three times? Okay. Doeg the Edomite, first of all, he's an Edomite. He's not an Israelite. He's a descendant of Esau, and the Edomites are sworn enemies of the Israelites. So he doesn't have anything in his heart for anybody that's a hero in Israel. Somehow, he was aware of the meeting between Ahimelech and David. Now, Ahimelech was not aware, the priest was not aware that David was being hunted for his life by the king. Didn't know that. Doeg the Edomite was the chief uh, herdsman in the household of Saul. So he, he was a servant of Saul. 
So wanting to win some brownie points with the king, he said, you know what? When he saw the king was so angry uh, and at his son and, and all that had happened, he said, let me tell you. He had a meeting with Ahimelech, the priest, at Nob. And he gave him some food and he gave him a sword. So Saul becomes enraged, carries his troops to the city of the priests, has Ahimelech brought before him. He said, what have you done? You're conspiring with my enemy. He said, no. He said, David, David was on a mission, you know, and, and I helped him, sure. I, he needed bread. I gave him some. I gave him the sword that was there. Saul was enraged, and he killed all the priests, all, all, the, all the household of Ahimelech. A violent, murderous, out-of-control man, King Saul. So here is a psalm, verse 2. A masculine, a contemplation of David. When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David came to the house of Ahimelech. So here's a guy who is a, a troublemaker and he's, he's called, he's called here Hagibodim, Hagibodim, a mighty man, which is a, 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 mighty, a mighty man. An important could be a warrior, could be a king. Why? And there are five charges brought against him here. Why do you, number one, boast in evil, you mighty man? Now, the fact that he's called a mighty man is important as we go through the psalm. It's, it's, it applies to, to a later verse. Why do you boast, number one, boast in evil? Doeg had no concern for who David was, for the fact that the Samuel the prophet had anointed him the true king of Israel, that God had made a covenant with David. This was nothing to Doeg. He's an Edomite. He's a, he's, he's a lost guy. And as with unbelievers, all kinds of darkness can come out of their lives. The first is boasting in evil, bragging of evil. The, the, the counterpart to that is God's goodness constantly endures. Second charge against him. Your tongue plots destruction. As a sharpened razor working deceit. This tail-bearing man only had evil in his heart and only had destruction on his mind. There was no reason for him to talk the way he did. He even spoke of things that he really didn't understand. Second charge in the warning is a tongue that plots destruction. 
works deceit. Verse 5, the third, well, you're verse 3, I guess. The third charge against him, you love evil more than good. David did everything in his life to keep from harming Saul, even though he had opportunities later on. Because his, his heart was this, I will not touch God's anointed. God put him on the throne. God's going to have to take him off the throne. I'm not going to be the one to do it. Even though the guy was trying to kill him, had troops searching for him, he wouldn't harm God's anointed. Even though he was evil. But with what he was doing, Doeg the Edomite was siding with evil. You love evil more than good. I once heard that a, it was W.A. Crispell. He said, you know, a preacher is sometimes not known so much for the friends that he makes as for the enemies that he makes. Because some people are just going to be your enemy if you do what you're supposed to do. This is the case with David. He was God's anointed. God was protecting him. But his enemy, Doeg, working in concert with Saul, loves evil more than good. Fourth charge against him. You love lying more than speaking righteousness. Silah. Silah. That's a... That's used as a musical term. It means to pause. When you play a great piece of music and you're going through some runs and maybe you've changed keys a couple of times and you're crescendoing to a, a great point and then suddenly there's this big bang where there's a chord that everybody strikes in the orchestra and then it just stops because there's a pause there. And you let that kind of absorb. And then the next part begins. Well, this is the Salah. Stop here after all. Stop and think about all of this. Fifth charge against him. You love all destructive or devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So he's called a deceitful tongue. You love any speech or saying anything that destroys or devours people. That's what you love. You know, I've known people in my life. There's probably some sort of psychological term for such a person. But for whatever reason, they have some sort of self-imposed low esteem. And yet they want to be great in the eyes of other people. And instead of working to do however God has resourced them, the only thing they know to do is to strike out at other people thinking that those people can be made lower rather than themselves being brought higher. If I can just strike out at everybody else, I'll, I'll be looking like a hero. Well, this is what he's talking about here. You love all devouring, destroying words. You deceitful tongue. So this is the warning. Now, the wrath of God. Likewise, God. 
Gamel. El. That's a very broad God. It's not Yahweh. It's not Adonai. It's a very generic term that El, El means strength. The one who is the epitome of strength. Can't get any stronger than El, El. Translated God. Remember he called him a Gabor. Remember that in a while ago? A mighty man. You may think that you are crafty and strong. But the strongest one of all will destroy you. El. Likewise, God, El, will, number one, destroy you forever. It's an interesting Hebrew word. It almost means... It means to be, to be disassembled, almost disintegrated. You're, the whole sum of who you are will fall apart. It's kind of like he's built out of dominoes or something and they all just collapse. He's pixelated. <laughs> His pixels all go away. Number one, God will destroy you forever. He's stronger than you. Number two, he will seize you. Number three, he will pluck you from your tent. And number four, he will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. Now that's a pretty thorough description of the judgment of God. He's not going to just take you away from where you are, not going to just uproot you and tear you up by the roots. He's not going to just do that. He's going to do it violently. And the end of it all is he is going to take you apart so that the parts of who you think you are aren't who you are really at all. He just will disassemble you. Now, next verse. And the righteous will see and fear. Sooner or later, the doegs of the, of, the, of the world, the Edomites of the world, will come tumbling down. And it will be seen by righteous. It is seen in this life and will ultimately and finally be seen at the great white throne of judgment. They will see and fear. They will see and be awestricken by the absolute power of God and laugh at him saying, you don't think about that very much, you know. Psalm 2 talks about the nations who strive against God and his Christ. On down in that psalm, it talks about how God is going to knock them off their pedestals. And then the more God's in heaven and the more he sees these pitiful little people trying to displace God, the more God laughs. God laughs 
at them. This is, this is something we don't think about. And the, the word literally means to laugh, to mock. To laugh mockingly. So here are the righteous people. And at the end of all things especially, here are all these untold souls of people joined into a corruptible body outfitted to suffer forever. And, and they laugh. It's not just so much because of the shame and utter destruction, which otherwise gives us a, a horrible sensitivity, but it is that God is absolutely true and just. That not one person escaped the power of God. Laugh at him saying, here is the man who did not make God his strength. But trusted himself, his great wealth, his abundance. Now the word generally references riches, but it can be he trusted his personality, his, his intellect, his ability to, to, to sell people on things. He trusted his abundance and strengthened himself in his personal Wickedness, rather than relying on God to be his strength. You see, ultimately and finally, at the last judgment, those who haven't relied on the strength of God are utterly powerless and weak. It is the, it is the epitome of weakness to stand after this life and have to stand before God knowing that he was never your strength in life. Then there's the weight. So David says, you know, I'm like a fresh green olive tree in the house of God. Olive trees last a long time. Those of us who've been to the Holy Land, we saw olive trees that dated back to the time of Christ. Here, David says, I am a young, vigorous, fresh olive tree in the house of God. Okay. Olive trees produce several quarts of oil a year. The oil was very useful. It was a very pleasant thing, very useful thing. So David says, you know, what I do comes from that which lasts, has lasted and will last a long time. And it's useful and fruitful in the house of God. I have trusted in the covenant love of God forever and ever. Now that leads, to, that leads to worship. When, when it's, it's God who is your strength and you realize how the strength of God 
makes you vigorous and, and f- productive and, and fruitful all through the power of God in the house of God. To know that it is the covenant love of God that always keeps you and sustains you and will carry you all the way through into the ages of the ages, that brings true worship. I will praise you forever because you have done this. And I will wait for or look for or look on hope. I will look on or wait on your name. You look back in the life of David. He references the one who is coming, the coming one, the Messiah. He references the Messiah as the name. That's how he called. He doesn't know what his name is. He knows he's coming. So he calls him the name. Here's a reference. I will anxiously, eagerly look on your name, my Savior, the Christ, Messiah. For your name is good in the presence of your saints. David survived. Judgment came to Doeg. Judgment came to Saul. David survived. Why? Because of the covenant love of God. Because of the fresh, fruitful, useful strength that God had produced in David. God had a covenant with him. And David writes these marvelous psalms that are put to music. He praises God for all that God has done. I'll praise you forever because you did this. I was not able to fight against an army. You did this. I couldn't have hidden myself. You did this. I couldn't have finally been brought to the throne of Israel in such a way that all of the tribes came together into one nation. You did this. And I know that the one whose name is above every name is coming. The one who is good for all of your saints and will stand in the presence of your saints. Well, we'll stop there and have our deacon prayer time.